I love this church. Amen. You know, y'all are special. You may not know it, but this is a special church. I tell it to everyone. I think when I first came here, I, I just was like, this is the greatest church ever. And someone said, well, wait till you see some of the faults. But I've been here a year and a half now and see the faults. And I, I think I just love you in your imperfection even more. Amen. Because <laughs> you love me in my imperfection. <laughs> You know, I'm just thankful what God has did in my life and my family's life. You know, I sometimes you all are more sitting on the outside looking in. And for me, on the inside looking out, I don't see it as much until sometimes I sit back. And you ever been at a project and you're in the middle of it, in the middle of it, and you get down, you look back, and you see it's crooked? You know, sometimes you got to step back a little bit. And I'm just so grateful for what God brought us here. I don't think I've ever came to a church where... I woke up on a Sunday morning, and God said, I want you to go here. I had to Google it to figure out where it was, you know, and still had trouble finding it. (laughs) But it's a privilege to get to minister to you all tonight. I want to say that from the bottom of my heart, and I love your pastor, our pastor, my pastor. It's a little different when you're sitting out there and you're standing up here. But I, uh, you know, I was thinking about preaching. You ever think about preaching? Preaching is not public speaking. Preaching is uh, not a speech. There's something living about the preaching of the, of the Word of God. You know, and I don't think people really understand it when they come to church that this, was, this is God's way. I sure wouldn't have did it this way. This is God's way, preaching, the preaching of the gospel. There's something happens when the anointing falls and the Word of God begins to be preached. Jesus was a preacher. It says, hey, I must preach to other cities, and he preached. There's something about preaching of the power of God falls, mountains move, lives are changed. The Holy Spirit begins to move like no other way. And preaching isn't just up here at the pulpit. Preaching is everywhere we are and everywhere we go. It's every part of our life. We're all preachers. I love the way Felix said that we're ambassadors. What do you, you know, so many times with men, they want to know what they do for a living, you know. I'm an ambassador, <laughs> you know. What, what, a, what a great calling to be an ambassador. But preaching should be... To our wives, to our husbands, to our children, to our, our co-workers, everywhere we go, it should be the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of what Jesus is and means to us in our life. Preaching isn't something you just do when you stand up in front of people. Amen? But I do take preaching serious. There is a scripture that says, Not many should become teachers, my brother, judged with greater strictness. Uh, you know, when I felt the call of God on my life at I don't know, maybe I was 16, and I didn't want to be a preacher. First of all, I was poor, and preachers in my mind were poor. I didn't want to be a poor preacher. I was already a poor young man. Second of all, I didn't like school. I was too nervous to sit in school, too hyper. I made good grades, but I hated it. So I took vocational school and TV and computer repair, and I had a job in California. I wanted to go to California. I lived in misery, in Missouri. And I wanted to go to California. And I wanted to fix televisions back then or computers. And so I went two years of vocational school. My neighbor's son had owned his own business in, in uh, Sacramento, California. And so I had this job lined up for 18000 a year. That was a million dollars for me back then in 1982. But God, everybody kept saying, Joe, God has a calling. He's got giftings in your life. And my, I said, no, that's just my mom speaking, you know. <laughs> my mom kept saying, you're going to be a preacher, son. I prayed you for you to be a preacher. So that particular year, our pastor had left, and another pastor had come in. He brought a guy from Teen Challenge in, Brett Block. 
It was so rough on me, Brett Block was, and come out of Teen Challenge. But anyhow, he said, Joe, you got you to call on it. So finally, I spent the summer praying, fasting and praying. It was unusual for me. I loved to eat, and I fasted, and I prayed. And, and uh, I finally said, okay, God, I'll do, I'll do what you want. This is in August, and I, I, didn't, I didn't have the money. We're poor. So how am I going to go to college? But he said, you got to go to Bible college. And so I, uh, I remember I was raised on a little farm, and my uncle had some hogs, 400 of them, actually. I took care of them. And uh, I, I went into the bank, and I told him I wanted to borrow some money to go to school. <laughs> I'm 18 years old. It's kind of funny now, but back then it didn't seem funny. And so, <laughs> so they told me I needed some collateral. So I used my uncle's hogs as collateral. got $750. I remember I threw a suitcase in the back of my truck, and I drove 50 miles to Springfield, Missouri, and I pulled up, and I saw all these parents with their kids. And I go, what's wrong with these kids? Were they a bunch of babies? They got to bring their moms with them? You know? <laughs> So I went up and I got in line, all these people in line, have my little suitcase, and they give you a room, and halfway up the stairs, this, this boy meets me, and he says, 2 Timothy 2.15. I go, uh, I don't know. come on, come on, you're a Bible college student, you got to know that scripture. I go, I, I don't know it. Because next time I see you, 2 Timothy 2.15. Robert Leathers, you know, you never forget people like that. So I memorized it. Next time I saw him, he goes, 2 Timothy 2.15. I go, I go, study, study, self approve, uh, broke down to God, right, 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 and uh, he goes, very good. Then he gave me another scripture. But tonight I want to talk about something that the Holy Spirit spoke to me really about a year and a half ago. And, you know, in, in the midst of my failures, in the midst of my problems, I felt like God could not use me. And I, 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 like, I don't like to get into too much. Too, I'm too ashamed to talk about the failures too much, but I, I call it a dark time in my life. And... Uh, but I just felt like that I was at a place where God could not use me. And, and so he gave me a word, and it's called, what is? <laughs> what is? And if you would turn to Ruth chapter 1, and I, I'm going to read the whole chapter here, the whole chapter, the first chapter of Ruth. I don't usually read that much. But it's a story. I love stories. I love to tell stories, as you see already. I love true stories. I love, little, I love movies that are about true stories. I don't know if you like that or not, but I, you know... Uh, I just, I love them when they're true. Well, I think that's what, I love the word of God because it's a true story. Amen. It's truth. I, I, sometimes I feel like we live in this world of, you know, fake media, <laughs> you know, movies, nothing's real. But yet we, we forget this is real. So when we read it, when we preach it, when we live it, it's real. It's living. It's not a, it's not a story that someone made up. These are real people like you and I. These are real people that doubt and fear and fail. But God works from what is. That's all I'm talking about. He works from what is. And, and I, I love this. I love the book of Ruth. Maybe some of you do as well. Ruth's about a story of redemption, a picture of Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Um, I, I thought when I first got this message, it was for me, but I just feel like, you know, sometimes when you live something, I, I remember talking to some Bible college students, and I, I told them, I said, never preach what isn't real to you. You know, if it's not real, you should never preach it. And this is very real to me. So, but God wants me to share with you all today. Naomi and Elimelech and his family, they left God in a famine. And they, they went to Moab. And God, God really forbid his people to move out of his, the, the promise and out of Israel. And they, they left Israel. He forbid them really to go live among the heathen. Moab represents kind of going to man or going to the world instead of God. And they being out of the will of God came at a great price for that family. And uh, um, 
But maybe, you know, I think about Naomi. Maybe she didn't have as much say that they're going to go down to Moab. I don't know. I kind of have a feeling she's like most wives. They have a great influence in the family and <laughs> in, in what's said. But so they went down because of the famine. And I kind of want to talk about, I want to take a look at how God works from what is. Not what could have been, what should have been, what might have been. I'm really bad about this. I'm thinking, what if, I like to do the, what if I would have been born in a rich family? <laughs> no, not really. But what if I'd been born in a godly family? I say so much of the time, you know. What if I'd been born, what if I was raised different? Well, obviously it wouldn't be who I am today if I was raised somewhere else and grew up somewhere else and I'd be somebody else. But Many times in our life, maybe when you get the age, you look back and you think, you know, I failed in all this. I got maybe 20, 30 years, well, 20 years anyhow left. I want to, I want to do it better, you know. I want to do it right. I want to do it for God. I want to do what He wants to do in our life. Well, as you read this story and as we think about our own lives, God works from what is, not what could be in your life, not what should be in your life. So let's, let's read this, and I, I'm bad about talking too fast, so I'm going to make myself slow down. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, of Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion. I, don't you just love those names? I never liked Joe. I always wanted to be called Butch or something. Truthfully, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left of her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the, the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they, they dwelt there about ten years. Then Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter, daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. I was reading that actually they, they believe maybe an angel spoke to her, tradition says. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-laws with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb? That they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons. Would you tarry for them till they are grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters. For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. 
For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. For thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfast minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty had dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me back home empty. Why then call you me Naomi? Naomi means pleasantness. Seeing the Lord had testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the city of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So the first part of this chapter starts out. It says, when the judges ruled. And Now, I've never been in a famine. I don't know. I guess we've had some dry times. Louisiana doesn't have too many famines since I've been here 20 years anyhow. It's the other way around. Lots of rain, lots of flooding. But... You know, as I began to look at this, why did they go to Moab? And why did they leave the, God's land? And why did, they, why did they go that direction? And, and it says, when the judges ruled, judges was God's way of leading Israel. And we know later on they wanted a king. But maybe they didn't like God's ways. You know, famines were, were used as God's way of, of judging the nations. Because they were getting away from him. You know... Maybe they say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want the fam. I don't want God's way. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever felt that in your life that sometimes you say, I've been in the fire long enough. I want out of the fire. I've been in this famine long enough. I want out. And maybe that's where they were. They were like, you know, I put up with this famine long enough and I want out. And so they decided to make their way down to Moab. You see, Moab was a place of pagans and idol worship. Matter of fact, Moab was God's enemies. You know, I think it's in Jeremiah where that Moab, um, they, 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 they took uh, the land of Reuben. And, uh, you know, and God said he judged them for it. You know, of course, you know, you know, Balak and Balaam and how he hired Balaam to curse. That was the Moabites, to curse the children of Israel. And they, they, went, they went down there thinking that it's pleasant. I remember when we when we decided to move to Louisiana from Ohio, we'd read the scripture about the, and, and I think it's Acts 27, where it says that the southern the soft southern wind began to blow, and they thought they had discovered their purpose. And so that's what I thought happened when we came down to Louisiana, you know. We came in November 1st or October 31st, and it was just so beautiful. I thought it was paradise till summer came. <laughs> it, it wasn't paradise. You know, there's a weird scripture in Ecclesiastes 11, and it says, If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the trees fall toward the south or toward the north, and the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Uh, that, that scripture used to really confuse me at one time. But whatever position, whatever position in which a Christian finds himself is an opportunity for the blessings of the Lord. Irrespective as to what that position might be. Many Christians try to put themselves in another place. In other words, if they were in another place, God could bless them. But the Holy, the Holy Spirit tells us over and over again, really, whichever way the tree falls, God is able to move in that particular situation in your life. 
He works from what is. And maybe if you get nothing else today out of this improper grammar, what is and, and how is, how does he work? You know, it's just a couple of ways I want to talk about how he works in her life. First of all, how did Naomi end up in Moab? You know, maybe you ask yourself that. How did I end up in Moab? You know, Moab can be something as, as extreme as going to the world for your answers and your problems. It can be something as extreme as turn away from God. It can be a spiritual famine in your life. Sometimes God puts us in a spiritual famine. You've been that time in your life where you just, you just really couldn't feel his presence, just felt dry. You felt that famine. And, and maybe you were tempted to say, well, why bother? I might as well give up. But sometimes God wants us just to press in a little more. It's a testing. It's a trying in our lives. You know, I've, I've heard this over and over again, and I, and I say it in my life because it's so true, and that whatever happens to a child of God, God either... Now listen, I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about the sinner. I'm talking about us as believers. Whatever happens to a believer, God either allows it or he causes it. Now, because he is trying to accomplish something in us that can't be accomplished any other way. And it's painful. It's famine. But they decided to bail and head down to Moab. And I don't maybe you're at a place, that, maybe you're in the middle of something, and you, you want to run to Moab. I don't know, whatever Moab is for you. You want to run to some kind of other answer, some kind of other solution to your problems. And, you know, I guess I feel God said to me, Joe, hold your course. Hold your course. This, this famine will not be forever. And, and I believe he said, Joe, you need to find out what am I trying to accomplish in you in this famine? What is it that's, that, that I can't accomplish any other way except in this famine? What is it that I'm trying to speak to you? What is it I'm trying to do in your life? If I want the famine to go on 10 years, you need to stay in it until I accomplish that I want to accomplish. A famine. Maybe like the prodigal son, how did I end up here eating in the pig trough? I say, I know a little bit about pig troughs. You try feeding 400 pigs. With, have you ever, I know you all don't understand what, about pigs too much. Hopefully you don't. But, but we had these big wooden troughs I'd make, and we'd take these five-gallon buckets full of corn and whey we'd mix. And when you get out in the hog pen, there's hundreds of those hogs, and they just attack you. I don't know if you've had thousands of pounds of animal coming at you. So, so I'm carrying, you take off running as fast as you can trying to get that in the trough before they get to you. And I'm usually kicking them and fighting them all the way down. So I don't know about this prodigal son, how he was able to eat in the pig trough, because the pigs I was around, there was no room for me to eat in the pig trough. But maybe you, the prodigal, well, this is, he came to himself one day. You know, I, I think sometimes, when, I, I remember once in that dark time in my life, and I began to listen to the radio, and I just one day I just came to myself, you know? That I got to get out of this famine. I got to get out of this Moab. This is not where God wants me to be. You know, when I, in Missouri, we had ice storms a lot, and the power would go out for weeks at a time. And we lived out in the country, and we had this well. And so when the power would go out, we had no water. And so in order to flush stuff, you had to go get the pond and carry water up. And I began to think about a famine, what it meant to them to be able to do a crop. It meant a lot more work. It meant a lot of work. If, if they could find water, they had to haul water. I know we don't know what it means hauling water and doing all that stuff, but they would haul water. 
And I remember one time, two weeks we didn't have electric. We hauled water. It's the most miserable. You know, you've you been out power here and maybe been without water. You know, I'm talking about, of course, you have bottled water now and all that. But, but it's just a lot of work, isn't it? A lot of mess. And I, I began to think for them that, that maybe they said, you know, I'm tired of all the work. You know, people, they may think when you get saved, it's just all roses. But it's work, isn't it? The Christian walk is faith, but the Bible says faith without works is dead. It, you know, it, it is about faith. But it's also hard work. It's also those things in your life that, that you have. You know, what is more important, talent or faithfulness? Hmm? Most talented people in the world are doing nothing, huh? It's those faithful that aren't as talented. A lot is said in the word about laziness. In my family, laziness is like the second most worst sin. <laughs> You've got murder and then laziness and then adultery, <laughs> lie, and all that goes down below <laughs> after that. <sighs> you can't even rest, let alone be lazy. And the children will attest to that. You know, and may, maybe they didn't like it there because there's a time of judges. And I, if, the, if you go by the genealogy Possibly Samson was actually the judge at that time. And if you know the story of Samson, the, the Philistines were attacking him all the time. It was so hard times. And maybe they weren't happy the way about God, how God was running the country, you know. He was using judges. And they're like, I, I'm leaving this place. And I, I, I want to get out of the famine. But it's amazing that in the end, Samson, God used Samson. But in the end, when he finally stopped operating in the flesh, he won a great victory, didn't he? In Ruth 1, 1, it says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Romans 14, it says, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. 14.8. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Whose are we? For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. The Lord having total controls over our lives. That's a place of trust. That's what a Christian really should be, a place of trust. To say, Lord, I trust you with my life. I trust you in the famine. Listen, there's some famine coming to our nation. Some of it's here already. There may be some famine, real famine coming in our lives financially. That's why I believe God brought me to the best church in the world. You know, I, 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 I'm telling you, I'd rather be with, with you all as a family than I would be with some of my, my own family. Because who knows what we're going to need to pull together and do. Amen? God makes us glad according to the days wherein thou has afflicted us. In the years wherein we have seen evil. Praising him through the storm. And that's the, I know, easier said than done. But it sure is wonderful when you do it. Amen. It's amazing how sometimes there's a cloud. Sometimes when there's problems, I, I, I don't like confrontations. Yet I seem like that's all I get to deal with. I don't like them. You know, I don't like, yeah, my whole life's about problems. I'm a service man. You know, I fix things. You know, it's always about problems. And usually when I hear people, it's someone's unhappy about something. <laughs> Something's broken, something's needs broke, needs fixed, something something happened, somebody's unhappy and or whatever. 
But there's amazing, there can be a cloud sometimes, but when you begin just with your mouth to begin to praise him, that cloud just seems to begin to lift, doesn't it? When you just begin to praise him, things begin to happen. But you can't run off to Moab. I want to talk about the second how here of what is. And that's Naomi's faith was weakened. And in verse 8 it says, And Naomi said unto her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And uh, verse 15 says, And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back into her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thou sister-in-law. So she turns these, turns these girls back over really to serve pagans at this point in her life. And, and if you, it's a heart-wrenching story. This woman lost everything. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. Now, you know, and, and I, I, can't, I can't comprehend the grief and the pain this lady must have been going through. And I, I can't possibly judge her by saying, well, you know, if I, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have been able to hold my head up at all compared to what she did here through all that she went through. But, but she became bitter, it says. He says, call me Mara. Bitter. Can't understand her pain, and she turned that pain, though, into blame, is what she did. I wasn't really mean to rhyme that, but it sounds good now. She blamed herself, and she blamed God. Because God, with her name, was really pleasantness, but she wanted to be called Mara. God had not left her, and I, I believe he showed her this. You know how he showed her that he didn't leave her? Because what does Ruth say in, in, in 16? And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For thou, for where thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. So there still was, a, there, was there was something in Naomi that attracted this, this Moabitess lady that was a pagan to say, you got something that I want, even in the midst of her pain and her bitterness. This lady had nothing to offer her. But there was something about her. So sometimes our pain, our famine, it masks how much God we really have in us. And we think we have nothing there, but we have more than what we know. And that's where she was here. You know, I, my life's a story of failures, I feel like. I know when we do witnessing, we say, if you're a liar, that makes you a liar. You know? If uh, if you're a thief, you stole something, that makes you a thief. If you're a failure in the kingdom of God, that doesn't make you a failure, though. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Just because we fail doesn't make us failures. Why? Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords died upon the cross, and he was our success. Amen? He did not fail. And our faith in him, our faith in what he did for us at the cross. Naomi, she had lost her vision of God. She'd lost who God was because of all the pain and all the problems. And, you know, when I think about the temple, I I think about there's a couple of passages where it talks about the seraphims. And in in Isaiah 6, one of my most favorite passages of Scripture, verse 1, where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And, and I, you know, he's still on the throne. Amen. He didn't leave because we did. 
Because they went to Moab, he didn't leave. It says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These seraphims, they're in his presence day in and day out. And they can't can't get past the same word over and over again. Holy, 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 holy. Think about that. For all eternity past, for all eternity future forever they, they, they they're in his presence and all they can get all they can get out is holy 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 See, we can't lose who god is holy he's everything amen he's pure he's good he's kind he's powerful he can speak and everything will change in a moment in our life maybe when all hope looks like it's lost in just that moment he can change everything he can he works from what is yeah, maybe, maybe you've failed. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've really messed up. But let me tell you something. When you think of Ruth, when you think of Naomi, do you think of failures? Because that isn't what defines them, is it? And that's not what defines us as our failures and our mistakes and our shortcomings. And he's not finished with us yet. It says, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Something happened to Isaiah when he saw the Lord. It changed his life forever. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. And he laid upon my mouth and said, Lo, this had touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Naomi had went to Moab. But guess what? She turned back toward home. Amen? She turned back. She went back. She arose and returned to Israel. First Corinthians says, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, you are not your own. For you're bought with a price. You're bought with a price. The church is a place, I believe, of God's presence. That's why I, I believe that sometimes people go through a famine and the first thing they do is they stay out of church. I'm just going to preach just a little bit here. I know I'm preaching to the choir because you all here on a Wednesday night. And I'm not going to preach much longer because I know you're tired. Because I've sat out there sometimes. And I'm really tired sometimes. <laughs> but, the, but when you're going through a famine, don't leave the presence of God. Don't, 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 leave, the, don't, don't leave the church. Maybe someone's offended you. Maybe you say, you know, uh, I'm not going to go get involved in any ministry anymore because this person offended me. Don't, don't, don't go down to Moab because of that. Stay in the presence of God. Stay in the house of God. That's where you get help. That's where God is. And I, I got to just real quickly say the third how here is how God used Naomi's failures to his glory. So we, we know the story. So just Ruth chapter 4 verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife and he went into her, went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. 
And he shall be unto thee a restorer of life and a nourisher of thine own age. For thy daughter-in-law, which is loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it upon her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. I thought it's interesting. Obed means serving, worshiping. Serving, worshiping. Can't understand her pain. Can't understand what she went through. But God says that, she said, call me Mara. Don't, you know, call me bitter. But instead, God blessed her with blessings beyond measure here. That he gave her a daughter-in-law that was seven times better than a son, it says here. Said seven sons. And I guess what, I've, what, what I want to give from this story is that Obed eventually became the grandfather of David, who became the lineage of the Son of God. You think about this story for a minute. In the midst of going to Moab, in the midst of failure, in the midst of not trusting God, God took a Moabitess and a Naomi, and he brought about, she held in her lap the, 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 the heritage of the Son of God. Think about that for a minute. She was a failure, folks. She, she lost everything, and yet God took that pain, took that failure, and he gave her something that he couldn't have gave any other way. He gave her Obed, serving, worshiping. And I believe that's what God wants to do in our lives. Amen? I, listen, God wants to use you where you're at now. Maybe you've been divorced three times. That doesn't define you. What defines you is God. What defines you is the Holy Spirit. Whatever problems, whatever you've been through, that's not what defines you. What defines you is the Holy Ghost. What defines you is that God's Son gave His life for you. What defines you is He will take what looks bad, what looks hopeless, and He will bring glory to Himself for it. Amen? He'll come back up and got a couple of songs I wanted them to play. And what is? That's where God works from. What is? That's, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you haven't gone to Moab, but maybe you're considering it. Maybe you're in Moab. I don't know. You know, what is Moab? Moab can be an emotional place. It can be a spiritual place of problems, of, of thinking that you're going to go there to get help. Some people, they, they run to food when they, when they got problems. Some people, they, they run and watch television. They, they bury themselves in a book. I don't know. There could be many places. Some people, they, you know, they, they, they isolate themselves from everybody else. But I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're in your Moab or if you're considering Moab tonight, I want to encourage you. I, I, I believe God gave you this word tonight for a reason. Amen. Naomi's, her faith was weak, was weakened. Maybe, you know, look and say, how did I end up here in Moab? Turn back and say, God, I need your presence. I, I need your strength. Her faith was weakened, but you know what? It wasn't gone, was it? There's something still in her that they saw. And how God used that little Ruth and Naomi to bring about 
his son is just amazing to me, isn't it? Isn't it to you that he became David, the son of God, and, and yet this is his great grandfather? Who knows what the lineage they say may have been a little further back, but either way, this is what God gave him. You know, it's amazing to me that in the midst of failures, God He blesses us sometimes when we turn back. He always blesses us. You know, when, when, when we fail and we come back to Him, yeah. So even when you read about. Abraham, he lied. And what did he get out of the deal? He got a whole bunch of cattle and all this blessing from it. You know, his son did the same thing. When he come back to God, God blessed him. It just, that's God's grace. What he's saying is that you don't deserve this. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you deserved it. It's my grace and my mercy I want to give you. I want to open these altars and I just want to encourage you. Let the, come up here and let the Holy Spirit cement that in your heart what God has spoken to you.